0: welcome back everybody to the philosophy of art and science podcast as always you can make sure to support at patreon.com that's patreo dot slash t-e-w-a-h-i-d-o you can also subscribe to the newsletter at Aksum.Substack.com. that's a-k-s-u-m.substack.com today our special guest with us is professor matthew j thomas Uh, we were just having too much fun reminiscing about our almost meeting up, but certainly all the overlap and our Venn diagram of Pepperdine University where he got his first degree in political science. He then got his, uh, is it Master's in Christian Studies from Regent College and his uh, PhD from the University of Oxford. His studies have included biblical studies, the New Testament, the idea of justification from the patristics to the reformers to the New Testament scholarship of today. He's got some forthcoming work on one and two Maccabees, not to be confused with the the Ethiopian version, which I'm sure there still needs to be a lot more uh, scholarship (laughs) on. And uh, he's also got some work focusing on on Clement of Rome. Welcome to the program. How are you doing today?
1: Thanks a lot. It's fantastic to be here,
0: besides the fact that it's really hot. Oh yeah. (laughs) We are dealing with a a heat wave right now. So we are recording this early in the morning to avoid it. It was a I'm in the San Fernando Valley right now and we just set a record for 121 degrees yesterday. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're so up in the East Bay. We're not we're not super far away from that. So I have I have my sweatshirt on right now for the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology where I very, very happily teach uh, so that I can represent and also to look somewhat uh, formal, but
0: no, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I might lose it before too long because <laughs> I can already tell I'm sweating even with a fan on behind me. Same, man, I got an undershirt too. I might have to take this <laughs> off, but yeah, shout out to your school. Actually, your school is a great segue I think to a question I have so a kind of common theme of my program is like you know it's not very denominational or branch oriented and I think I've seen some of this in you which but I don't have your full kind of thoughts on on the matter yeah I I see the greatest work for ecumenism coming from Biblical studies and that's mm. kind of my opinion on the subject because yeah. that is the common heritage that everyone yeah. shares Everyone yeah. has you know different numbers most Protestant canons 66 if you include the whether you call them apocrypha or deuterocanon you get up to 71 a yeah. uh, strange Ethiopians we have 81 for some reason and uh, <laughs> you know, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a bizarre situation yeah. um, but I think just these studies in general are, are what unite us. I'm curious, even just looking at your educational background, it looks like you were in three different countries. Yeah. You were at evangelical institutions, high church, Anglican background, being in, in uh, the United Kingdom, and now yeah. you're at a, a Catholic uh, institution, right? The Dominicans. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about you know what could lead you to be so open-minded because there are plenty of christians in the united states for example who do not even consider catholics to be saved or yeah you, you know what i mean yeah, or justified totally. we could say.
1: yeah no absolutely so uh you know i'm i'm really fortunate in that i you know i'm actually not originally even from you know from a christian background and so i think just even having that goes and gives me a sense of perspective because uh, you know, I was, I was raised with my mom when I was younger, up until I was I was nine, and she was she was very anti-religious, uh, and it's it's interesting, not even just you know anti-religious; she was specifically anti-Christian, and so she like we wouldn't like celebrate Christmas and stuff like that. She wouldn't go, and she'd send me she'd send me to my dad's for you know for Christmas, uh, and so you know we wouldn't get like a Christmas tree and kind of things like that. So you know, when I when I became a Christian, I had the uh, I guess you could say I had the the advantage of perspective which not everybody you know people who are from you know kind of a cradle christian background or whatever you know whatever kind of denomination um they don't there's a lot of advantages that that you know that they do have the one that they probably don't have to the same degree is as the advantage of perspective in that you know they don't how do you measure you know what you you know what you have how do you measure that against you know whatever you know you've been you you know might be going on elsewhere well because I was because I wasn't raised in a Christian context, uh, I was able to see, wow, this is you know this 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 Christian anything this is just different from what I've experienced and it's really compelling and um, you know I remember I remember uh, being being terrified when I when I became a Christian because I was um, I, I just remember thinking you know, uh, one, there's there's two thoughts I had. One was that this is the thing that my mom really needs because she just had just a lot of difficulty, and a lot of brokenness in her life. And two, that I was terrified what was going to happen when she found out that I was a Christian because <laughs> I knew that she did not she did not like these people and this was not you know she she had kind of been run, running away from this. And it was it was interesting with them, you know, within my own background. Uh, she, my mom lost lost custody of me at that at that point, so. Actually, I actually didn't see her for about six and a half years after that. Wow. And um, but it was really interesting when, kind of late into high school and then in in, in college uh, when I was when I was at Pepperdine, um, reconnecting with her and seeing how she saw the impact of the faith in my life and saw how it had taken you know you know how 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 christ had gone had taken me and and turned my life in a very different direction from you know where it would have gone if i was you know falling either either my parents and so um and so it was it was really you know for me as one of the most powerful testimonies i have just her you know coming to see you know, who, who Christ is in, in my life and saying, yes, like, I want that. That's amazing from, you know, from the person who I was, you know, I guess I, I you know, grew up most, most fearing in these this respects. So and was most worried about kind of, you know, her, her rejection, everything. So, um, so I, I would say from a, from a baseline, you know, just coming from a non-Christian background really helps. I've also just had the advantage of being in and around all kinds of different you know, church church backgrounds and uh and you know, appreciating the way that God can work through all all kinds of things, even you know, even you know, church contexts that you might say are, you know, theologically erroneous and you know, <laughs> in, in, you know, perhaps some, some serious ways. You know, I have um I've I've really I've 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 benefited from you know from all, all kinds of folks from you know from from different backgrounds and so for for me, that's that's helped me a lot to uh, to encourage me to try to always, I think, be you know be a be a good good listener when it comes to you know just different, different backgrounds and different kinds of denominational contexts that people might, might be coming from. Cause um, I mean, even if, you know, even if somebody might be wrong and, you know, one thing or another, almost everybody has something to teach you. Almost everybody has something that they do know really well, or they can help you to appreciate better than you could otherwise. Um, For, for, for me, theologically, the uh, you know, the, the kind of the the guiding light has always been CS Lewis. Um, I came across this stuff uh, early, early in college and, was really real life changing. And, um, you know, as far as me and, you know, my own just, you know, hopes and aspirations and stuff. it, it's not like, it's not like I you know, went to Oxford cause it's like, Hey, I want to be like CS Lewis, but yeah. the, it's, it, cer- it certainly didn't hurt the fact that, Hey, here's this guy who I, who I owe tons to. Um, and so, you know, the opportunity, you know, the opportunity can't, you know, came up to be able to go into, you know, to study in the same place that, you know, he, he was it's like, boy, that's kind of a, of kind of a, kind of a no-brainer no um, So uh, you know Lewis for, for me as far as um, you know as far as ecumenical stuff goes uh, you know I, I try to and we you know we have a, a CS Lewis you know reading group that we, we we've hosted at our, at our house you know every week for just you know years because I just find ecumenically he's uh, there's there's almost almost no one who's, who's like him as far as uh, just being able to speak to people. From different kinds of you know denominational backgrounds and context and stuff and the fiction um,
0: and the nonfiction, or just the nonfiction.
1: yeah so it's it's mostly it's mostly the nonfiction. we have mm-hmm. done some of the fiction and the reason that we haven't done more of the fiction is is my fault um <laughs> it's because i my attention span with the with the with sorry the, the reason we haven't done more of the fiction is because uh my attention span for for fiction it's like if you're reading, you know, the book the whole way through, I can kind of follow it. But when you break into, you know, a chapter or something every yeah. you know, every, every week, I, I just, I can't remember. I forget what's happening. <laughs> and so uh, we, so my, my wife's favorite Lewis book is Till We Had Faces. And oh, was it a year ago? I can't remember. It might have been a year ago. We, we tried reading it through with our friends. And I, think, I want to say we got like halfway through. But I was just like, I just was falling asleep every time we were doing it because I couldn't remember what was happening. I, I would always I would always forget. So we've uh, we've been mostly doing lately the the, uh, the God in the Dock essays uh, because that that volume has so many, so many good essays in it. But we've kind of gone through you know, everything prior prior to this.
0: So um, there's a whole lot of his corpus I haven't touched yet, but I'm actually finishing on the finishing pages of Screw Tape Letters. Yeah, and uh, Mere Christianity is next on my list. I grew up on Narnia, although I don't think I, I finished you know all the all the books. And actually, while I was at Pepperdine, there yes. was a very funny anecdote of a a C.S. Lewis scholar who was giving yes. a convocation one time that I attended, and is you know one of the rather intellectual ones. And at one moment he's speaking and he uses this british idiom that the audience was not ready for and it just erupted in laughter and he was so caught off guard i don't remember i don't i wish i could remember his name but he, he said i don't want to teach my grandmother how to suck eggs which apparently is the British equivalent of "I don't want to preach to the choir." Yeah, so I don't want to yeah. teach you how to do something you already know how to do. And he yeah. thought it was just like a very normal statement, and he was trying yeah. to proceed to his next premise built yeah. off that. Just, <laughs> it just erupted in laughter. It so, wasn't, yeah, it wasn't Michael
1: Ward, was it?
0: It might be. I'm I'm gonna have to look him up. Okay. And, and, and see
1: because we yeah we know we know Michael Ward. So he's now now fa- Father Michael. Uh, oh but nice. He, uh, that that definitely sounds like something that he would have said. And I know that he goes around and does little speaking tours and
0: stuff like that. Oh, so. then it's probably him because we—I mean—a a bit off-camera, as I was saying, Matt and I were having too much fun <laughs> reminiscing because the circles of Pepperdine are are so small. Even the physical pathways are to the way that you run into the same people, and uh, I knew at yeah. least a couple of the people that we knew were strong. And I'm—I'm I'm sure if we spent more time, yeah, we, we would—we uh, would find more and more. Uh, similarly, even we we're both political science majors, so yeah. We had, at least one or two of the same professors, yeah. as, as well. Yeah. So that, that's interesting. C.S. Lewis is the motivation because yeah. your scholarship also focuses on some of the work of N.T. Wright, who I kind yeah. of see as the uh, the latest in that in that lineage. <laughs> and I I also am a fan of of a few of these Anglican people who have this worldview. It's it's almost like um, they have this view of the early church, the ancient church, the patristics, and yeah. they have deep respect for orthodoxy, but they also feel fine right where they are. yeah and so and maybe that's a lot of the ethnic components of the yeah. various Orthodox churches. Yeah. but I'll add to that list right now the the foremost Syriac scholar on earth mm. is uh, Sebastian Brock. He's okay. in that tradition. Yeah. Yeah. one of the greatest Ethiopianists of all yeah. time was uh, Richard Pankhurst. He just passed away a few years ago. Yeah. So there's something there's something to that tradition yeah. that you you stepped into at, yeah. at Oxford.
1: I know. Um <laughs> yeah. if, I, if I can as well just to, to affirm the point that you were that you were making as far as you know it was, as far as ecumenical stuff in, in you know in biblical studies. The, you mean the dis- on on the one hand the discipline of biblical studies can be it can be a bit of a, of a cacophony sometimes, just because I think when you only get, you know, biblical scholars who don't do, don't do any, anything else, uh, it's kind of like everybody, I mean, you know, our, our job is we kind of go and we dissect things, we're not really necessarily good at, you know, after you've taken all the individual pieces out of the animal, putting them all back together and making the thing, you know, alive again. Um, so that's just that you know, that's the, the nature of the, you know, of the of the dis, of the discipline. But I I do think as far as holding ecumenical potential, I think that I think that you're right that um in, engagement with scripture like this and coming back to the base and you know foundation of, of scripture um is is really good because what you can do is i mean you're appealing to something that everybody goes and and holds you know holds to no matter you know whether one's you know you know ethiopian orthodox or whatever whatever one's you know background happens to be the what i what i try to do along with that is you know just just in my own work my my own reasoning uh and this is part of my you know my intuition with you know with the project itself uh so the, the the works of the law book is looking in the early centuries of the church so looking you know uh you know rest of the first century second century you know going to the third century and just recognizing that boy any anybody even even kind of your most you know anti-traditionalist uh you know kind of you know background uh you know christians everybody goes and holds to this sort of, you know, 27 book New Testament canon, more more or less, pretty, pretty much everybody holds holds, holds to it. Um, not everybody holds to the creeds in the same 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 kinds of ways. Uh, but for the most part, most folks regard this early period as, you know, as common heritage. And even if you don't regard it as common heritage, for pretty much everybody, it still is. <laughs> Again, if you're going and taking, if you're taking, you know, the New Testament, so both both the texts themselves that, you know, were transmitted by, you know, you know, by the early church um, and, you know, and the canons, the list that goes and says, Hey, these are the texts that are, you know, genuine and authoritative. And here, here's the ones that, you know, uh, you know, don't, don't go and, you know, meet me that list. Even if you, even if you just have, list, by
0: the way, who is yeah, the one who gave yeah. the Ethiopians an Episcopacy.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So even if you, even if you just hold to those things, you're already, at least in a tacit sense, you're accepting the authority of the early church mm-hmm. in, the, in this very foundational area. And so for me, you know, part of the intuition in this project was just recognizing like, hey, even if, I am, even if I'm going to go and, and exercise my anti-traditionalist sort of, you know, instincts, you know, to a, a maximal degree, I'm still going to come back to, I still have a kind of tacit belief uh, you know, in in this authority that that's there in the early church, because I, I think that these texts are authoritative, and I think that you know they're you know I think they're genuine, I think they're faithfully you know passed on, you know, et cetera. And so, if that is the case, then going and engaging with the you know early Christian thought, I think it really does go and have potential ecumenically to go and to provide a foundation for people of you know you know different kinds of backgrounds. Uh, to go into yeah I think you know engage engage constructively and to say hey this is this is part of where we come from this is uh, and when it comes to the you know the interpretation of scripture uh, this provides a really a really
0: helpful guide for us so that no it's it's so beautiful I want to connect some of the things you said earlier too right this kind of insider outsider perspective that you yes. gained because of the way in which you were raised and then the way in which you know to give a, an homage to the catholic tradition saint francis of assisi if i could paraphrase him the nonverbal preaching that yeah. is your testimony yeah. uh, allows you to not not everyone in biblical studies like you said is ecumenical but allows you <laughs> to be within that within that space yeah. seek seek yeah. that which way which you're able to do and it's very fascinating too because it goes back to C.S. Lewis when i read on the incarnation in yeah. english by athanasius whom you mentioned in his paschal letter list yeah. the 27 books yeah. the introduction is written by one c.s. lewis yeah and in that introduction c.s. lewis says and he suggests that people to see the biases of their particular age and context read books from different time periods. Yeah. So to, to give the full kind of name of your text, Paul's works of the law in the perspective of second century reception. And I, I know you've made jokes elsewhere about that may not have been a particular title of priesthood.
1: <laughs> hey man, bless, bless the Lord that it's effective. That's, that's what I'm grateful for. Amen. Is, I had somebody yesterday who was asking because they wanted to look up the, the title of the book. And so I was trying to tell it to him and I realized I could barely say the whole thing in one breath. I was like out of breath at the time I finished saying my book title. Yeah. Anyway, not many people can say that.
0: So. But so, you, I don't know if you read on the incarnation and CS Lewis's oh, yeah. an introduction, yeah. but no, you, you did that because we have some of the granularity that you're talking about in biblical yeah. studies is that even when we're talking about justification or being declared righteous, uh, as, as N.T. Wright says, and I have his kingdom, New Testament, his translation yeah. of the New Testament. He likes translating as being declared righteous. When, when you look at the perspectives, yeah. the one is called the old, the one is called the new yeah. and the framework that you kind of helped popularize or you are helping to popularize, if not, you know, being the pioneer of is, hey, what if we read what people of other centuries say? And then even within that, you have these categories of the testimony: the A category, the B category, yeah. the C category. Can you tell us, like, patristics, reformers, um, people who are looking at the reformers nowadays, people who are looking at the new perspective, and how how kind of these inter- interact in regards yeah. to, you know, the idea of justification or or being declared righteous?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let me. So first, let me say. Uh, if if you haven't read the cs lewis's introduction to on on the incarnation i mean on the incarnation is one of the greatest books ever written and the the terrifying thing is that lewis's introduction might be even better than <laughs> on the incarnation that's that's the crazy thing like as 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 amazing as on the incarnation is i always i'm always making reference back to that introduction um it's it's just unbelievable and so i believe i believe that's uh, i think i think it's open source online as well so yeah, if any of have have had a chance read it. to, 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 to re- it's a really really fantastic and I, and i and i really try to take seriously what he says about you know about reading you know reading old old books and trying to develop perspective that way um what i can do is i can give you a, a just a quick so this is you know for 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 the listeners a quick overview of the project itself, and then methodologically, sort of what you're getting at with your kind of, you know, your A category, your B category, your, your, your C category stuff. So the the book is called uh, Paul's Works of the Law and the Perspective of Second Century Reception. I'm gonna catch my breath. All right, back with you now. Uh, the, uh, it is, what it's, what it's looking at is it's looking at the passages uh, in Paul where he talks about being justified by faith apart from works of the law. So in Romans and Galatians, that third term, what, you know, what is, what's Paul mean by works of the law? And so you have on, on the one hand, you have what's called in, in you know, modern uh, New Testament scholarship, the old perspective on Paul, which, you know, the the adherents tend to trace the roots back to Luther and Calvin. The regard works of the law is, you know, any, anything that one might do to seek to earn justification you know before god and so uh this is it's usually um at least in you know in modern context it's usually taken as equivalent to, you know to good works uh and so uh not exclusively necessarily, but that's just that's just often in a you know popular sense we you know the way that you find us the the significance of doing those things it's in sort of individual like I, you know I'm trying to do enough of these works of the law I'm trying to do enough of these works so that I can be justified you know before God and so that's the way that 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 term is understood within that perspective the, the new perspective so associated with with, with people like NT Wright, uh is looks at that term works the law and says no when paul says this he's talking about specific works of a specific law and so you have the the torah itself is the law in question the mosaic law within these there's always certain practices that come up circumcision sabbath you know food food laws uh the you know the the various days related to the, the jewish calendar and the significance of going and practicing these things isn't it's not individualistic in the sense of you're trying to earn a certain amount of points by doing all of these works, so that you know God will accept you, or so that you can get in, get into heaven, where it happens to be. You going and practicing these things has a communal rather than an individualistic, you know, significance. And when I say communal, it means you're becoming part of the Jewish nation. You're becoming part of the Jewish covenant. So, in a first century context, nobody who is getting circumcised thinks like, "Hey, wow, I did this great work. Look at this really good work that that I did. Isn't this get Every hey, you know, write, somebody ring a bell this. That's, yeah. that's that's not that's not the that's not the significance of being circumcised in the you know in the first century context. The significance is you've become part of the Jewish nation. You become part of you know the the you know the the Jewish the Jewish covenant. And that's significant because you know from a you know from a Jewish standpoint, the, the you know, the Jews are the people of God. And so if you have these Gentiles who are now coming in and it's like, okay, great, fantastic. you, you know here, here you are, but you you know, the Jews are the people of God. Uh, and so if you want to participate in God's blessings, you need to become part of, you know, this people from, you know, from an ethnic standpoint as well. So that's the, that's kind of the context of, of, of the debate. What my project does is it looks at the, the earliest reception of Paul's letters, um, the 150 years sort of after, uh, after his death going up to St. Irenaeus around, you know, 180 A.D., and what what you find in this project, if you're saying, "Hey, what is you know, what do these figures say?" They sound very much like what we call the new perspective. And so there's the to give away the, the punchline of, of the book. Uh, the it's it, it's almost uniform I, it, when it comes to the, the meaning and significance. Uh, you know of of of, Words of the Law really is uniform as far as you know what they the way that they interpret this, what they understand by it, um, and so that. The, the the sort of fun paradox you have with this is you know what, what we call the new perspective on paul you know is really in reality the old perspective what we call the old perspective is itself you know it's it's a it's it's a it's a theological novum in relation to this this early tradition and it's interesting because if you if you spend a good amount of time in lutheran calvin you know you actually would have a similar kind of you know sense as well and that they both go and kind of set their positions in contrast to you know these you know early, early figures at least the earliest ones that that, that they knew. When it comes to the, the methodology, as far as hey, how do you go and you you know, you under you know, figure out what what you know the early church meant by works of the law, the or sorry un- understood by it, I, I have a methodological. What, what I've tried to do is I've tried to set up a sort of system uh, where I have what what are category A sources. So a category mm-hmm. a, a source is a source which goes and it is talking, it's, a, you know, there's similar kind of Jew-Gentile conflicts to the kinds of things that you find in Paul's, Paul's letters. So it seems like contextually uh, what's happening is is similar. And so, you know, debate over works or law, and then if you find things like justification or whatever happens to be around it, you have a sense that you're on, on the right track. A category A source would be one that is directly referencing one of the works of the law passages in Paul, and so there's uh, you know there's a handful of verses in Paul's letters where he goes and he's you know he, he uses the actual phrase works of the law. And so if you have a a source which goes and is re- you know referencing one of those verses, then that's clearly that's you know that's direct reception. A category B source would be one. That does not use the phrase "works the law itself" or doesn't go and make direct reference to a verse, so it isn't, isn't clearly drawing upon a specific verse that has that you know that 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 phrase in there, but it is clearly influenced by Paul and clearly makes use of either Romans or Galatians in a similar kind of context, and so Ignatius of Antioch would be an example of this where he goes and we know that, you know, Paul is the most formative theological influence in Ignatius of Antioch. Uh, I readers who don't don't know Ignatius he he dies as a martyr around 110 a- AD and uh was the bishop in, in in Antioch so where you know where Paul and Barnabas had, had been and everything like that so clearly the
0: orthodox church loves him because of his his one line where the bishop is there the church is yes yeah absolutely
1: there's all there's uh, there's all kinds of um so uh the my 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 son broke into the to the uh the, the the conversation earlier and uh, his, oh. <laughs> his his middle his middle name is ignatius uh oh, is nice. name, name for ignatius of antioch and so we actually call, call him iggy uh so, <laughs> so anyway we have, we have a you know a personal connection with with him as well uh so he he, he would be an example of a, of a category b source he's clearly influenced by paul he argues against judaizers in a couple of his letters and so you have this kind of polemic back and forth you have the judaizers going and saying saying this which the the context the, the context clearly reminds you of what Paul is engaging with in Romans and Galatians and so there's a there's a sense in which this is this is really valuable supporting evidence he just doesn't directly reference one of the verses or directly you know draw upon one of the, the, the works of the law phrases or use the specific phrase itself then the category C uh, category C evidence we'd say you, I call it circumstantial evidence they are sources where they clearly have um, similar kinds of debates to what's happening with, uh, you know, with, with Paul's own, own debates in Romans and Galatians. And so they're going back and forth between Jews, you know, Jews and Gentiles slash Christians uh, over similar matters. But it's it's unclear the degree of Pauline influence. So some of them, you know, the, the Epistle of Barnabas is one example, where some some interpreters think, yeah, he's clearly drawing upon Paul other ones think ah oh, I'm not not certain if 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 this is really influenced by Paul or not and if you can't make a you know a confident judgment then i have it as as circumstantial evidence so that's that's the way methodologically i've i've gone to try to say hey how can you how can you look at the entirety of reception but go and prioritize those sources that are most directly influenced by you know by by by, by Paul's epistles um, and it, what you find in the end is that there's not a great deal of difference between those sources that are most clearly influenced by Paul and those for which we just have you know circumstantial you know kind of evidence as to whether or not they're drawing on Paul and it, it, when you find that and then you go back to the context of Paul's letters, you find that this is this is sort of what you might have expected because if you look in Romans and Galatians, where Paul goes and says, you know, talks about being justified by faith apart from works of the law, in neither case does Paul go and define the term. It seems to be something that is commonly, it's common coinage, it's commonly recognized by whoever's, you know, whoever's going to be reading his epistles, and it's, that's the case in Galatians, it's even more so the case in Romans, because you you know you have in, in romans one you have paul talking about hey i've you know I've, I've earnestly desired to come and visit you but i've been prevented each time you know up up till now so paul's never actually visited this congregation before he doesn't he's writing this and doesn't he's never actually been able to sort of verbally go through any, any of this with him but he still goes and introduces the phrase without giving any sort of definition and so that Finding that there's the, the the understanding of the phrase seems to be common coinage, you know, between sources that are more influenced by Paul and less influenced by Paul, would seem to be what you'd you know what you'd expect when you go back to to the epistles themselves and say, yeah, he doesn't seem to have any need to to go into define the term either.
0: So. Yeah, it's commonly understood, and I I liked how you you used the word polemics in terms of the the tension, whether it's you know an ethnic tension or religious tension or or some combination of that, right? Between the groups, and it's about if you're bringing your own you know kind of pre-assembled theology to the yeah. text, or if you're trying to see. <clears throat> what were the first audiences reception of yeah and the assumptions of what their reception would be of the text and how does how does that match to the three categorizations that would be under patristics the many categorizations of the the reformers yeah. and uh today in you know in 20 in 2020 scholarship And for for those of you who don't know, the kind of inspiration for this podcast, is so funny that we both happen to be Pepperdine alumni as well. That was kind of just a a bonus, is that my friend, Father Dustin Lyon, who's a part of the Ephesus School Network with me, actually had uh, Professor Matthew on to go much more in depth on the, the justification issue. He was, he's was he got a, a shout out early on in the book because he's one of the, the first readers of the book. So they go much more in depth on this subject. And this is as much of a sneak peek we're going to give you on this, because now you're going to have to find the book. <laughs> we're going to throw the link up on, on YouTube. But we, we mentioned his background as well. Political science. So I was hoping to to differentiate this episode as well by yeah. by maybe delving into the 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 polemics in a different sense or mm. our our poli sci and within poli sci, you and I both had an international studies focus, which is kind of you know comparing how different organizations interact with each other. But I'm also fascinated mm. by kind of comparative politics, and I know you and your wife have this forthcoming work on the Maccabees coming yeah. out which is one of the the deuterocanon right and one one of the fascinating things about the maccabees is it's like this idea of a successful political insurrection which i think is in the background in the new testament world when there are the various jewish sects one of which are the zealots and you see jesus correcting some some zealotry you know even up to the point of of the cross but i think you know, even for them asking him to establish a sort of physical kingdom for Israel. So, you know, in the many manifestations of government we see in in the biblical world or whether we see it in, in the real world, when you were in England, you have this history of the monarchy, which is now, you know, made uh, more or less kind of a an external feature of yeah. what is their their more parliamentary system in the United States. We've always been this more democratic republic. The the in the in the ancient days they had ancient democracies, but but Rome is is an empire. The time yeah. that, that that we're looking at mainly in in the New Testament world. Just if you have any general thoughts on on forms of governance and you know what's going on in in Maccabees and and later in in, in the New Testament.
1: Yeah, gosh, boy. There's, 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 there's so many, there's so many areas I could go with that. And so I, I'll say, I'll say a couple things and then I'll, I'll go and I'll kick it back to you because I want to go and get, I want to, I want to get, get, get your, your thoughts and just kind of see what, what's, you know, what's, what's brewing, brewing in your head with it. With, with the Maccabees um, in, in particular. So when you have the, the Maccabean revolt, it, when it, if, if we're looking at early Christian reception of, of, of the Maccabees, the Maccabean revolt, it's, it's uniformly positive. Um, everybody kind of regards you know the Maccabees, you know, as a good thing. And a you know, big reason for that is because you know, with the Septuagint, you know, being the the Bible of you know almost all early Christians. And as far as we can tell, it seems like you know, some some various number of the books of Maccabees are parts of the, you know, of, of that Septuagint collection. Um, mm-hmm. at least, at least first and second Maccabees. Uh, some, you know, some of them go and drop on fourth Maccabees, you find, you know, you find third Maccabees, uh, you know, so so, sometimes hearing that, which is is third Maccabees.
0: So do you guys have third Maccabees? Ours are a totally different set of like four books of Maccabees. Not one of them is the same. And I I have no idea what's behind that. I have Amharic copies and I I need to read more and compare them side by side. Yeah, it's one of those things where you like go through and you read the Bible, but then you you're like, hold on, wait, that wasn't quite the same. Like, you know, you're talking about (laughs) like when you read, you know, Daniel and you see like the story of Susanna in it that you don't see in the Masoretic text and things like that. But yeah, I I need to do more work on specifically why. But yeah, there's just a lot of things in Ethiopia that are just absolutely weird. I'm named after Enoch. We have um, I have an Old Testament which is called an octatook of the first eight books, but it's octatook plus jubilees. You wow! Know? So it just—that's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of mysteries that I think. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So, with
1: if you're looking at the, you know early Christian reception of, of the Maccabees, um, and you know what you have have with with the revolt, the, the probably the, the best place to go to would be to go to Hebrews eleven uh, and the, what, what seems to be a couple of references to the events of the Maccabean crisis. And so what is it? It's maybe around 1135, somewhere around there. Um, when you have, so the author of Hebrews, whoever you happen to think. So, I mean, uh, I, I'm, uh, it's, it's, it's possible that this is, this comes as a product of uh, spending too much time in the early church fathers, but uh, I am I'm inclined towards the the position of Pauline authorship just because that's what you find in the in the early early church fathers. Um, but it was interesting because I actually I. I, I arrived at that position, or at least I at least first got got the thought, not from reading any any of the church fathers. I first got it just from sitting down and reading the whole thing in Greek one day, which was supposed to be, you know, for you know, mostly testament scholars. That, well, if you read the Greek, it, you can tell clearly that this is you know very different you know stylistic yeah. and everything like that. And it was really interesting because I I went into reading the you know reading Hebrews in the Greek not thinking that Paul was the author. And by the end of the day, I thought Paul was the author, even though this was the specific thing that's supposed to convince
0: convince me otherwise. Um anyway, that's a totally different sub- subject. It, it and, is a tangent. And and you know, I for me it's not something that would mire my faith. I appreciate the way that you say that. We have a bishop in our church who does that and a lot of people yeah. don't notice when he says that he says yeah. like the author of Ecclesiastes, the author yeah, yeah, of Hebrews. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. does that all the time and it always yeah. Me up for me. The fact that the kind of the magisterium accepted it yeah. is enough for me personally. I know other people have issues with that. If you yeah. had to pin me down, I I would say Pauline authorship in the sense of like Pauline school, right? So you know when you say it, do you mean he actually wrote it with his hand or through an amanuensis? Yeah, or you know through yeah. dictation. Yeah, exactly. uh, and there's so many things right through a disciple. Yeah. Or is it Pauline teaching through one of his disciples or specifically Pauline and how different yeah. are those? And yeah. I, I know that could take us down a rabbit hole. No,
1: totally. Just to give uh, if anybody if anybody is interested in the topic, I had a, uh, an article I wrote with um, in New Testament studies called uh, Origin on the Pauline authorship of Hebrews which just looks at uh, specifically at origin, because when it comes to the question of, you know, the the authorship of Hebrews, everybody goes back to origin. And so I, I, I went and I literally went through everything, every reference that Origin has to Hebrews in his entire corpus, and uh, it put together an, an article, on, you know, on that and you know what Origin seems to think about the authorship. And so, if you look, if you if you look online, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that you can find it open source as well, um, w- which is really fun, and it's it's one of the things that mostly- we'll, we'll throw that
0: up there on the YouTube. As as well. they,
1: yeah, most New Testament scholars sent it. Yeah. Tend to not totally get what origin is, is saying, but it cuts along the line of what you would describe there. Anyway, so all, all that to say, whoever it is that that gives gives us Hebrews, uh, you have uh, y- you have this the allusion to you know those who go and hide in caves and holes, uh, which was like well what's like what's he talking about? And in that same context, you have you know women went and you know uh, you know kind of gave their children you know uh, you know up in hope of like a better resurrection. It's something something that, that 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 effect that's that, that's there one of the references seems to be quite clearly a reference to the events of of two maccabees seven and so uh the the mother and her 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 seven sons and so uh that's as as far as you know hey how from new testament standpoint how do we understand the events of the maccabean crisis that that seems to be a pretty clear reference the other one those who go and hide in caves and holes and everything that appears to be a reference to what happens in the beginning of first maccabees when you have you first have the revolt happen and then you have sort of, you know, the kind of, you know, the counterattack and everything like that. And they go out in the desert and they're hiding in these, these caves and holes. And so it seems as though whoever is, you know, is the author of Hebrews is, you know, is holding up, you know, these, these Maccabean, you know, rebels as these, you know, these heroes of faith, these examples of what, you know, good kind of biblical faith is like. And from the standpoint of, you know, Hey, is there tension there? Well, You know, I don't know if it's any harder than some of the other examples that you get in in Hebrews 11, because you got like people like Samson that are there. You're thinking like, Mm -hmm. okay, where, you know, let's let's enumerate the the virtues of Samson. (laughs) All right. Well, he's uh, he's really he's really good. uh, What you know, he's really good at if you if you've got, you know, different donkey body parts, he can he can, you know, take apart a whole army with one of those like. You know what is, is it, was like a donkey's jawbone or something like that. It's like, boy, as a hero of the faith, he's not necessarily, you know, nec- like the the first guy that you would think of. But what you can say is that within the context of of the covenant that's there, he is going and defending, you know, that that covenant as 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 has been given. And I think that there is a a parallel there with with you know with with the Maccabees, um, in that uh that within the context of that covenant they're going and defending that covenant they're defending in a sense the 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 heritage and the lineage of god's promises that are given through abraham and ultimately you know to to bring about this you know this this universal blessing that goes in as it, it is just talked about over and over in, in genesis um i i have I, it's funny cuz i have an essay in this um uh it, w- within the, the little Popular commentaries that my, my wife and I did uh, called Paul and the Maccabees, where it looks and says, "How would Paul have looked at the Maccabees <laughs> after after his conversion? Because if mm-hmm. you go and you look at what Paul was doing as a Pharisee, a number of those things are they're pretty similar." to what the Maccabees, you know, were doing and what it would have done. And so there's a, there's a, you know, passage where, it, you know, it, it seems to be talking about enforced circumcision. Uh, I know that the, the, the exact wording of that, as far as what, you know, what, I think that the language is in iskue. So they were, you know, enforcing this, you know, in strength or, or with strength. And so it's like, okay, what, what does but that to mean? Non-Jews, right? To non-Jews, right? So within, within the context that that's there, I I believe I could I could be mistaken because I'm a little fuzzy on it at, at, at the moment, mm-hmm. but I, I think that this is those who were Jews but had not actually gone and and in, in, in it, and yeah, you know, I mean. held, held to held to the terms, you know, of 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 the covenant. Um, yes. But I, I I could I could be wrong there.
0: I I just I can't remember off, off top. Off. There is that I remember. There's a scene where you know he runs up and like slaughters the guy who's about to do a false sacrifice yeah. on the altar yeah. due to peer pressure from yeah. the the pagan regime that they're yeah. that they're under. Yeah. Um, you know, they have I think the abomination of desolation that we also see in like Daniel and Matthew yeah. is, is there too. Yeah, absolutely. So you so you get you get you get all all
1: that all that stuff there. Um, I think when you're looking, if you're saying okay, from a New Testament standpoint, how do you go look at this, and then you know more broadly, how do you understand that you know that that kind of theological empire that goes and you know starts under the Maccabees? I think from a standpoint of uh, it, you know if we're if we're trying to kind of aggregate uh, what New Testament principles would 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 give us, I think that it. it especially the testament of hebrews seems to portray the maccabean revolt as faithfully going and upholding this covenant and uh, you know upholding the promises that are that are given you know to and then through through israel and again an early christian reception beyond the new testament that's you know that's pretty much universal uh i mean some of the the praise of uh, you know not just of the Maccabean martyrs from, you know, from, from two Maccabees seven, although those are the, that's where you get the most, but also the, you know, the Maccabean rebels themselves, Um, you know, St. John Chris Austin uh, has got some incredible, incredible material. I want to say it's on, on his, Maybe a homily on Psalm uh, 44, 45, something like that. He just breaks into this this kind of exegesis of you know First Maccabees and telling the, telling the story of uh, you know of, of of you know of you know Mattathias and, and his sons and what they go and do to you know uphold this this covenant this this kingdom. Uh, and it's it's really really powerful. It's really this kind of unrestrained uh, just just praise of what of what they're doing as these sort of pre-Christian Christian heroes. The the question is, what do you do with the the political system that goes and follows from that, and is the political system that follows from that necessarily something that should be taken as uh, as an example or as you know axiomatic, either for succeeding generations of Jews or for you know Christians in the New Covenant, and it would be pretty difficult to find a whole lot of support for that, I think, either on the Jewish side or, or the Christian side and saying, like, hey, this is, you know, this is, this is the way that, uh, you know, everything, everything should work from, from here on out. It's really interesting the way that at the end of First Maccabees, you have the uh, the institution um, of is it Jonathan or is it Simon? I get all the this is the thing with having all the all the brothers that there you get you get them mixed up in your in your head. Uh, I believe it's Simon at, at, at the end. Um, Although, uh, if, if I'm, if I'm wrong, you'll have to go back and correct me on the tape and just sort of like dub it and say, no, it's Jonathan. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, you, you, you think if we, if we wrote the book on this, I would, I would know things like this off the top of my head, but, um, you, it, what if this is in, in 1441, I believe, uh, not the year 1441, but first Maccabees, uh, chapter 14, verse 41. It, it talks about the, uh, how you have by popular acclamation the, uh, the the institution of I believe it's Simon as the as you know both the 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 leader and as high priest until a faithful prophet should arise Mm -hmm. thinking like that's really interesting Uh, so you have now these roles combined so the high priest is now your political leader as well. which is, we, we fast forward to the New Testament, you think, why are people like Caiaphas? Why are they making political decisions? Like, you know, didn't they just offer sacrifices? And that's like, you, you get to Maccabees and see, no, this is how you've got to the context where you have the political and sort of your, your pri- priestly roles combined into one because you have by popular ac- acclamation, uh, you know, this, this you know, it's, they, 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 they go together now. But it's very interesting the way the text presents it because there's no, there's no equi- equivalent of Aaron's budding staff. There's no sort of equivalent of uh, a kind of divine sanction to say this is the way that things are meant to be, you know, in, in perpetuity. And if anything, you you have the opposite of that. You have the, the the text goes and says that this is the way that it's going to be until a faithful prophet should arrive. And so, uh, which is the same thing that you get, you get earlier on in the book where it talks about, you know, these sort of the the, the stones from the sacred altar that were, you know, were desecrated. What do we do? Well, we're going to wait until a prophet comes to tell us what to do with them. Similarly here, you have, you know, this political system. Well, what are we going to do with it? Well, we're going to, I guess we'll do this for now because this guy is really great. So we'll do this until a prophet should come and should tell us, you know, what we should, we should do, do otherwise. And. I th- I, it's 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 interesting because if you look in the way that in the succeeding generations of the Hasmonean di- dynasty, uh, I mean, you're pretty glad for anyone who takes you know First Maccabees as as, as, as you know as authoritative in any kind of yeah. way that the text doesn't go and give you any any sort of any sort of stronger affirmation of that system than what you find there, because the Hasmonean dynasty really unravels. It goes all kinds of. Yeah, all, all, all kinds of not great directions. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for an easy sort of, uh, you know, introduction to it, if, if you just go on a Wikipedia or something like that and just go through and read all the different, you know, successors and all the different, different kings that are there, uh, people, you know, not, not, just, not, not, not just sort of, you know, non-Jewish kingdoms, the Jews themselves get very tired of the Hasmonean dynasty you know, very quickly. And even though with Herod, you, you know, you have it switching to a, you know, a different, uh, you know, bloodline, he's just sort of continuing this sort of downward spiral of these, these political leaders who have, you know, who, who've, who've come from this initial revolt. And so, both, yeah. from a, both from a Jewish standpoint, and then also from, you know, a, a Christian standpoint, I don't think that there's there's too much that's there in the text that would seem to suggest, boy, hey we figured it all out the relation of church and state and the relation of you know kind of politics and everything this is we've you know this is all, all been solved here here now so here's here, here's here's the blueprint um you don't you don't find you know either either within, within jewish sources or you know within early you know christian tradition you don't find a, a whole lot of substantiation you know for for that particular idea so anyway i'm going to kick it back to you cuz i want to hear your your thoughts on this what do you think you know your, yeah
0: i i agree with you i think the issue is right you see so many different systems and what you don't see is a sort of like you know here's the god manifesto set up this type of government i mean you just you don't find that yeah what i tend to look towards is you know going back to the octet the book of judges how things are going there i look at this big change in first samuel 8 the first time that they're given Saul, the king that they asked for, to look like the other gentile countries or nations. Um, I I look at the Maccabees, right? The success that is initial, but like you said, the kind of long-term decay and decline. I look at the zealots and how Jesus was quick to Put zealotry aside, but I think you're so right to point to the same thing in the Maccabees that is in Paul. Is to me it seems like an interpretation, and I think it all goes to this: an interpretation of, and I'm I'm forgetting the psalm number, but we 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 chant psalms in our tradition, and one of the ones that we chant very often is "Zeal for your house has consumed me, or has devoured me."
1: Yeah,
0: and and um, you know the insults leveled upon you fell upon me i bent the knee of my soul with fasting it's one of the psalms we we chant a lot but that that zeal how you define zeal and i think in the life of saul you see from the conversion from Saul to paul two different kind of viewpoints of zeal yeah the second version of zeal which gives us you know depending on how you want to number it a huge chunk of that universally accepted 27 book new testament canon that you and i have been discussing and and so after this period when we enter this sort of living memory of the apostles, this apostolic age that is in your prior category A piece of evidence, you see in 70 AD a physical insurrection happen and they get utterly destroyed yeah. and the the temple's destroyed. And one of the questions i've always had if i ever you know gotten netanyahu's ears like how come you haven't rebuilt the temple you know there's this funny thing going on with the ethiopian jews too because the ethiopian okay. jews have kohanim they have priests oh, still. okay Interesting. <laughs> but Interesting. the but the rest of the judaism has been rabbinical for like yeah. two thousand years so to wow. transition back to priests uh, wow it would it would be giving up a lot of political power and religious power which is together right in, in, and yeah. in that state
1: currently I need to go to Ethiopia at some point to see for <laughs> myself. This is this is fascinating. At Pepperdine, oh, I, had, yeah. I had a chance to go to some of the places in Africa and stuff like that, which is fantastic. But this is, I mean, you're giving me a sense of, like, my mind's being blown. There's actual uh, oh, like Ethiopian there's Jewish priests that are there.
0: Oh, it's too, you, I mean, it goes further. If you take Indiana Jones or the scholar Graham Hancock or yeah. the, some of the local legends, the original Ark is there in uh, yeah. in the north. Well, <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So that's the premise of Indiana Jones which you know is also related to the, the scholarship of Graham Hancock who's been on the Joe Rogan experience talking about it and wow and um and yeah can he's I, written a book on that on that subject I, as well
1: can I toss in a, a point real quick just uh, because I, I want to make sure that uh just just from something that some something that you said I want to make sure don't don't lose it it's really interesting when it comes to the topic of zeal and the way that Paul goes and talk, talks about talks about zeal um he does not talk about zeal, bless you. He doesn't talk Thank about you. zeal as a as a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. interesting because he talks about zeal as a good thing. Uh, so if you if you look in Romans, he says, you know, he, he's talking. He goes, he starts, you know, addressing the audience. He's talking about the Jews and you know how you know his 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 heart for you know for for his people according to the flesh. He goes and says, you know, I can testify that they have zeal, but not according to knowledge. They have zeal, but not according to knowledge. And I think if you, you know, if you, if if you were to say in in relation to, uh, you know, kind of the Maccabees and everything like that, and you know, Paul, kind of in a sense, trying to do his own Maccabean thing in his own in his own time, him going, it, you know, what what he did, you know, as as Saul, he was acting in a sense. I, I think. We, you can talk about the, 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 the details of it, but it seemed as though he was trying to act as best as he could with the knowledge that he had in the sense of, he does not have the knowledge that the new covenant that has come along, that, you know, that goes and fulfills the promises that were, you know, made to, you know, to all, you know, all the patriarchs and everything that this has actually gone and arrived. And with that knowledge that that actually has arrived, well, that means that his, zeal needs to be channeled in a different way that means that his zeal is meant to go and it's meant to be manifest and in accordance with the new covenant that that's that's been given and to go and to use that zeal in ways that are in accordance you know with that old covenant you're 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 just walking backwards you're you're sort of you're trying to enter the time machine and go and go the wrong direction which none of the none of the patriarchs none of the none of the prophets themselves would have won because they all you know earnestly longed for this day they all they all looked forward to this day with eager expectation to see when are all these promises going to come true and this is what you know this is what what goes and hits paul is that they all have come true but in this most unexpected way and you know the messiah coming and himself being the actual presence of you know israel's god and them going and rejecting him them going and, and crucifying him, and yet him going and you know rise riot, again three, three days later. This is the uh, th- th- this is the unexpected climax of the story. And as soon as he gets it, he says, "Okay, the the problem isn't zeal. The problem is they're doing this. They're doing this not according to knowledge in a way that I was operating not according to knowledge too. And so the you know what what needs to happen is to go and to demonstrate." This is the actual fulfillment. This is the actual reality. And it has its, its reality confirmed by the, the manifest power of the spirit now doing things in people that never could have you know, happened otherwise. So um, anyway. his, zeal,
0: his zeal cannot be understated because, again, I'm, I'm forgetting where in scripture this is, but certainly the New Testament. There are parts where he wishes that he himself would be damned yeah. if his own people would be saved. The same
1: same passage, the same 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 passage. So yeah. beginning of I can't remember if it was Romans nine, or Romans ten. I always get this mixed up. So
0: yeah, and, and and it it's it's so it's so beautiful when you when you think of that and and going back. This is a point you know. NT Wright emphasizes a lot. He doesn't like the usage of the word you know heaven. Uh, he he uses the word paradise a lot for kind of uh, that inter period in the new heavens and the new earth creation and the reason he does that is he he likes to talk about this phrase the the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of god is at hand and a lot of times you know people are just (laughs) trying to do a few good deeds to get into heaven which is why i think that early reformers critique of what you know they call works-based salvations and there's a lot of you know like Protestant hip hop that I listened to growing up. And that's kind of when they attacked that, that's when I, I got older. I, I stopped listening as much as <laughs> some of that thing because it goes to the justification yeah. debates um, that that you're talking about from a scholarly level. It's even popularized into the to the music, yeah. which is, uh, you know, fascinating. People like Shy Lin and, and, and okay. stuff like that. But, yeah. um, you know, continuing on in in history and seeing different forms of of governance, the Ethiopian uh, state was church and state and a specifically Christian one, basically from the 300s till 1974 when the communists took over. And there's an interesting period around the 800s to the 1200s or somewhere around there for a couple hundred years. There's a little debate how long it went on, but there were four priest kings, and in fact, mm. in Europe, they were always searching for this person they called Prester John, which is short for Presbyter John, this, mm. this sort of legendary priest king. And, and some people, you know, theorize that it was in Ethiopia. But there are these four kings that are written about and this monolithic church that shows up on the History Channel all the time. You know, was it aliens or uh, were the black folks over there able to build this on their own? <laughs> <You know? laughs> a lot of questions asked on the History Channel. But, uh, but there were four priest kings. That, that participated in, in the construction of Lalibala, which is this monolithic series of, of churches. They build it out of one stone and it's incredible. Yeah. Um, but that's the work of the priest kings trying to remake Jerusalem in Ethiopia mm-hmm. when when the kind of um, Muslim rule is, is preventing them from making the, the pilgrimage that, that they've been making to Jerusalem for centuries and their monastic community there. Y- you go forward to you know where where we mentioned you went to school in the United Kingdom, you and I grew up in the United States and the democratic republic that we have here or the democracy that people use for short term. I think there's no one kind of political system of all the systems that is is just like, oh, this is clearly what the Bible is giving. I think there are these general things that we see, like you said, in relation to the faithfulness to the covenant. And, and so maybe there are certain biblical interests, even even I would go so far as to say even around money, which is a funny yeah. thing that we don't even think about a lot, but in terms of yeah. like honest weights and measures and 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 things like that, it's, it's things we don't even... Uh, I think about actually the last uh, and only Catholic president we had was John F. Kennedy. And and one of the things that he wanted to do was return to a silver dollar. So even just that kind of creativity is yeah. interesting in a political perspective yeah. in, in terms of, you know, what what does that mean versus the kind of paper fiat currencies um that we have but one of the one of the things i think i did glean from the bible is that as individuals and as communities when we hold that that living god that you said that was with them that is the fulfillment of the biblical narrative or story we we have our own kingdom and if the kingdom word is off-putting for the 21st century ear, we have our own government you know Mm -hmm. our our main government which we should always give priority to is Mm -hmm. the building of of the christian you know community it it is you know through the studies that you've done through the ministries we're talking off camera of some of the ministries that you used to do in oakland and Mm -hmm. some of the ways that you know you've you've imparted to your children the recitation of scripture so the building of of this kingdom in which the the love of the the needy neighbor and the stranger Mm -hmm. and the enemy is 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 being expressed in this multi-ethnic community all tribes all languages you know worshiping the same one god i think that's there but i also think critique wise you know i think it's so much safer for the christian to say like free so-and-so from jail than incarcerate so-and-so as Mm -hmm. a general principle (laughs) i think and it's fascinating to me you know in in the upcoming you know 2020 election here in the united states for example you have like a major Catholic nun speaking and endorsing, you know, uh, the incumbent President Trump. At the same time, I'm in Los Angeles, um, and we have Father Greg Boyle of Homeboy Industries, one of my favorite Catholics of all times, in in the Jesuit history, yeah. and he's endorsing Joe Biden, and and they both seem to be doing it from a religious point of view. And so I think I would just like to intimate to the audience one of the things that, you know, I grew up in a progressive Democrat community. The first time I was exposed to anything conservative was actually at Pepperdine. And and so, um, you know, I think just stepping outside of a Democratic Republic for me, stepping outside of Democrat or Republican, you know, for me, and just, you know, the way you see Daniel across various regimes, and just as we said you know even in samuel he's dealing with even the desires of the people and they're going from the state of like judges or rulers or princes and kind yeah. of decentralized to a more centralized king so i think i think the biblical point is that whatever the politics as we compare them there's a way in which you can serve god um hmm. but there are general ways that we could be more rather than than less yeah. faithful and that these kind of dialogues help flesh out you know those those opinions and people have them all the time. Like what is the role of, of war of the death penalty of abortion, yeah. these kind of big things. People um, um, talk about healthcare or um, whatever it, it, it may be. I, totally. I think we need to flesh them out.
1: Yeah. I think so. I think for me, the, the frustrating thing that, that I, I find um, is um, the, the, the thing, the thing that I, I just find myself always, always coming back to when I look at, um the kinds of stuff that you get from you know either of the major you know political parties right now um and i think that this is this is sort of the underlying question sort of you know both on the left on the right with i just find myself coming back to all the time and it's not necessarily that i i have a really good and clear consistent answer to it it's just that this is the question that none of us are really answering and because of that we all end up looking like hypocrites <laughs> the, the, the question is, how is it that the church, or how is it that Christianity, is actually meant to relate to the state? And so, if I, you know, if if I go and I, uh, you know, I can, I can, I mean, I want to try to be as 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 kind of equal opportunity with this because I'm sort of, you know, politically, I'm I'm kind of, you know, off in the off in the desert right right now, where I find it really really difficult uh, to to identify much with you know with with either party or to have much enthusiasm enthusiasm for either of them, but you can say uh, on a democratic side, you'll, you'll get appeals to Christianity when it comes to things, you know, like, uh, you know, like, you know, caring for the poor, like, uh, you know, in healthcare, and you always you think things along, along those lines, or, you know, the immigrant, and it seems as though the sort of the tacit assumption is that the government should go and take Chris, Christian principles as authoritative, and actually go and enact them, which you're gonna, I, mean, I look at that and I think, boy, there's not a whole lot of separation between church. I mean, you really want <laughs> your government to be, I mean, it's like, if you, you're not putting things in this term, but I just, I'll often hear the things that are saying, like, boy, that's some pretty serious theocracy you guys are you guys are proposing there. But then when it comes to, you know, when, when, you, when it's, you know, if that's what's happening on Monday, on Tuesday, when it comes to you know whether it's talking about kind of sexual ethics or anything like that, um, yeah, anything that has to do with Christianity or the church and like that, you don't want to hear you don't want to hear any of those things. It's like, and if you were to even, Anathema. Like, yeah, even, even if you were to even to, to kind of bring those things into the into the conversation, uh, you uh, you would you would not be allowed to be part of the conversation for very long. And and I and I think that it's one of the things on the other side you know you can go and say uh you know with uh you know with, with you know with 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 republicans there can definitely be days of the week where it feels like wow what you're proposing it seems as though you're from a same point of principle that you really want there to be i i really a very theologically informed government here, and so you know, when it comes to you know protecting you know like you know the 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 you know the lives of the, the unborn or you know things 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 along those lines, you really take that seriously as far as uh, you know the fact that you know each person is made in the Im- image of God, and that there's this you know. Especially those, you know, who who, who are the weaker lives. We, you know, from a standpoint of being informed by Christian principles, those are the ones that you have an especial duty, you know, duty towards. But then, when it comes to the next day, and say, okay, well, what about you know, when it comes to when it comes to money, <laughs> when it comes to kind of theological you know, let's let's have let's have our. Uh, you know, let's 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 have our you know our business principles uh, influenced, you know, informed by uh, you know by by Christian principles as well. And so let's talk about kind of Republicans and money and business, and let's talk about usury and you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I love challenges. that. And suddenly it's like it's it's the same thing that you find on the other side, where you just kind of get the sort of la 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 la. You don't want to hear what's going on, like you the uh, you, it it the that 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 particular side as less enthusiastic about being informed by Christian principles. And I think in those, those kinds of areas. Um, and so for me on both sides, the, the, the question I just come away with is I don't really find that either party currently, and, and again, I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm not, you know, trying to be, be, be partisan or beat be anybody up because these are, these are difficult questions to, to go and answer. I don't find that either party is actually engaging the underlying question at all of how it is, that Christianity should relate to the state. It seems like in areas where Christianity says something that this group of people likes, then you should almost have a theocracy. And if you're not actually doing this, then you must not even be a Christian. So, you know, if you don't support, you know, whatever happens to be, you know, universal healthcare, uh, then you you can't be a Christian because, you know, that's, you know, there's there's a, clearly a, one, a one-to-one tie there. Which I'm not saying anything for or against universal healthcare. I'm just saying mm-hmm. the underlying question as far as, how Christian principles should go and be, you know, be incarnated in the particular state that you are living in. That question is just unengaged. You're just assuming that that should be the case on Monday, and then on Tuesday, when you're talking about different today, it's like, no, Christianity has nothing to say here. And if it doesn't have anything to say, then we're going to ask you to leave. So <laughs> that's, I think, for me, that's that's the that's the bigger frustration that I have, mm-hmm. and I don't have I don't have easy answers there as far as. You know how, how how that should work, but the fact that the the the, the thing that I, I that makes it so that whenever I come across any kinds of, uh you know and you know on, on TV or anywhere else when I when I come across sort of you know faith in the on the public sphere, the reason I almost always just mute it or turn it off is because it's like guys we're still not having the actual conversation that we need to have. We're just sort of talking past each other or using you know, using, you know, Christianity or, you know, or the church as a cipher, as a tool to go and to try to, you know, prop up our own, you know, I- ideas or our own preferences. And I just don't think that Christ is particularly
0: interested in that game. I, I, I agree. Sorry, the heat is beginning to dehydrate me. Um, <laughs> um, I agree. And on a final note, at least for, for my end, my response to that, and I learned a lot of this from Nassim Nicholas Taleb, as well as another Kevin Amos Carson, mm. both of whom who have uh, talked a lot about localism mm. and and scale as the issue, like one solution for 330 million people maybe difficult Ethiopia is about 110 million people now when mm. my parents were growing up it was it was half a million which is wow. you know it's wildly different it's exploded but historically speaking and again the historical scale is going to be much smaller than even my parents time maybe we're talking mm. about 100,000 or or tens of thousand historically and this is what i've been digging into more and and pointing to more people what you had was um Pretty much everything was a theocracy, but there was one kingdom, which was a um, it was a, a non-Abrahamic monotheistic leaning. If not, there are some arguments about whether it's fully. It's like a sky god, but it's one god, yes. um, and there are other spiritual beings and relation to that. People have questions about, but anyway, a non-Abrahamic monotheistic kingdom that actually ran. Close to what is an African democracy as possible. That's the mm. Oromo Kingdom. You have uh, five Christian kingdoms, mm. all all running themselves, and you have uh, about two or three sultanates. Mm. And what is the modern nation state of Ethiopia historically? Were all of these things plus a few smaller pagan kingdoms, and you know, over time they got less pagan and more Christian and Muslim, but. Yeah. That was, and then it was a tiny Jewish community as well. Um, But there's also a lot of fuzziness as to when they came into the picture. That was the milieu, was like these small theocracies. And to your point, they went full-blown theocracy. They didn't say we want to, you know, half-ass theocracy and then (laughs) be against all theology and religion on on half of what we believe, you know? So it's a question of, is, is the Bible, is Christianity... Is it a buffet from which we get to eat whichever items we want and and toss the ones that we don't yeah. want, or should there be a more full submission um, yeah. going on? And I I tend to lean towards the latter, and I I guess I guess that that you would as well. If you have any closing thoughts before uh, yeah, we get out of here, thank you so much for, no, for I, coming I, on I, and, and talking on such such random topics that I I wanted to talk to you about.
1: No, I mean I I enjoy it. I mean you know. Uh, yeah, i I'm, When it comes to to, to, to politics, I, I think uh, particularly, you know, I am, uh, you know, if, even though this is this is the area, you know, that, that I study because it's not what I do on a day in day out basis, you know, I, I I I'm sort of your, uh, I guess you could say you're you're informed and interested amateur in this area, and so I'm 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 always you know anybody who has any any insights in these areas, you know, I'm always open to be to you know to be be, be informed by. It. I think the the thing that you know in relation to our, our own particular you know con- context, um, I, I it's just I was it's, it's funny because I'm having Facebook uh, or I'm having flashbacks to these these um, these these great discussions I've had with my friend Tom on Facebook over, over the years. Um, who is, is Tom's a great guy? He's a, he's, a, he's an atheist guy, and we just had these really fun discussions back back and forth. And one of the things he's talking about is he was uh, he was you know he had put something up about you know, the relation between, you know, church and, church and state, and like he was, he had viewed something that, that the, uh, you know, something that the government had done as some sort of, kind of, you know, religious, uh, kind of, uh, Overstep. You know. yeah, exa- exactly. So you're kind of, you're sort of, sort of violating this. Um, another friend of mine, uh, you know, Justin had kind of gone and said, well, look, you know, he could, if he, cause he's saying, I think Thomas said something about, you know, Hey, this is like, this is, you know, turn us into Iran, something like that. And uh, and my other friend Justin is like, well, sort of. But if you look at you know England for example, England is also a theocracy. <laughs> it is like if you if you're looking at the country itself, or the way the monarchy works, and the fact that you have you know an actual state religion or everything like that, an actual state state church. This is also what theocracy looks like. So theocracy with a certain particular religious background can go and get you Iran. The theocracy also goes and gets you gets you you know the united kingdom and so theocracy itself just saying hey this is you know this is the- theocracy uh does it's not sort of the sort of uh, a kind of monolithic u- uniform you know u- uniform thing and it can result in you know in states that you know we tend to regard as being you know overall quite good quite good ones and the thing that came came to me as i was you know as i was you know kind of looking at the discussion between, between my friends here it's just reflecting on you know if if one looks into the theological ideas that were, you know, around at the time of our nation's founding and, and, the you know, the various theological perspectives that you have from the, the various found- founders out there. So people like, you know, Jefferson, Adams, kind of everyone, uh, you know, Franklin. Uh, it's really interesting because I, what I find inescapable, and it makes me really uncomfortable, I really wish it were otherwise, what I find inescapable is that the United States is a soft theocracy. Yes. I just don't, think there's any way around it. If you are, if you're going to take either the words themselves, so if you look at you know, the Declaration of Independence, you know, we, we, we take these, these truths as, you know, self-evident, you know, that, uh, you know, there's certain in- unalienable rights given by, you know, the Creator, you know, et cetera, which I believe, uh, if I remember correctly, Jefferson originally had that as, you know, we take these truths as sacred and inviolable. And then uh, it's and then it's Franklin who goes and says, "Oh, let's try self-evident." Or at <laughs> least in, in the in the John Adams mini, mini, mini series, that's the way it's 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 portrayed. Which I actually think that uh, to say self-evident is, doesn't actually make any sense because uh, historically, you know, these ideas have not been that you know that God has created you know all people equal, and that He has given them all you know with you know the, the creators, given everyone certain and, inalienable
0: rights. These are ideas that come from a Specific theological heritage, self-evident um, in the grander, or maybe the more specific, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant tradition, in which exactly. is their yeah. milieu, yeah, self-evident exactly. to our
1: milieu. Totally, totally. So it, it is within this. Uh, I mean, it's a kind of, and it's it's not just this kind of you know 18th century you know liberal Protestant you know perspective that's that is that's represented, but it is. That is the, the predominant sort of thing, um, you know, for some, for some of the founders it, you know, it kind of veers more towards deism. For others, mm-hmm. it is a more kind of like orthodox Christianity. But for all of them, they're operating within this sort of Judeo-Christian theological framework within. It is self-evident to them that the creator has created all men equal. And that he has you know, given them all certain enable rights, and it's, you know, this, that, this, that, and the other. Now they then go and abstract from that as much as possible in order to go and to create within this, you know, this this context as much room as possible for, you know, what they regard as, you know, kind of human flourishing and for freedom of religion, you know, et, et cetera. But that doesn't still mean that you have is not a soft theocracy because if you go and you take what's self evident to them. And you take that and contrast that with all these other kinds of culture. I mean, this is the this is the huge blessing of being, you know, international studies, political science, you know, background. You take that and you contrast it with all kinds of other, you know, times and cultures and you know, places. So whether you're going back to the ancient greco Roman world, none of these things were self-evident to anyone back then. Or if you go, you know, if you, if you, you know, one goes one goes to, to you know to China, if one goes to all these other places, it's it's only really self-evident. Within this particular theological framework, and so that that for me the the what I just find to be inescapable that or, no matter how much you know how much we want to go and to separate ourselves from the Judeo you know Christian heritage, the fact that our founding principles that we're all relying on, we're, we, you know whether we're Christian or not, that they they do come from this kind of soft theocratic framework. That's sort of the uncomfortable thing that I just don't. You know, I don't. I don't know exactly what to go and do, to, what to do with, and how to, you know, because I, I want to have all my principles, you know, s- you know, solely de- derived from reason, and that you know, reason's going to go and you know, give us this kind of common ground that everybody can go and engage with fruitfully, you know, one or another. And so, regardless of where you come from theologically, we're all going to come to the same place. But when you actually go and you study other times and you know, cultures and histories and the way that reason works within different theological frameworks. Well, reason working within de- different theological frameworks does not necessarily get you what is self-evident to us <laughs> in,
0: our, in our theological context. So I'm, I'm so thankful to God who, through his providence, got you and I together. You called yourself an amateur, but you've given me a new technical term that I'm definitely going to use and quote you on, soft theocracy. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> what I love about you is that whichever topic of study we're talking about, you have this Thing which is embodied in Pepperdine's motto that the hmm. truth has nothing to fear from investigation. You are okay. pursuing the data and however queasy or uncomfortable it makes you, in justification, mm. if it if it makes you a, a dreaded works-based salvation person. In, <laughs> in politics, yeah. it, it might make you one day in the future a soft theocrat, just because that's yeah. the truth of where you know the United States came from. You're just, just recognizing that every truth. day in the
1: past we've been soft theocrats and haven't yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, other people are in denial. Other people are in denial yeah. for the fact that you would follow that those data wherever it yeah. would lead you I think is inspiring for a lot of people. And, and thank you so much for coming on the program.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If, hey, if it's a great, adver- you know, if it's an advertisement for Pepperdine University, it's a place that I think for, for both of us, you know, that has, has really benefited us, you know, both of us a lot. And I thank God, to, you know, for the formation that, uh, you know, had there, as, as you mentioned. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Amen.